family offices, as you mentioned, now larger than all the hedge funds in the world, and they are competing directly with private equity, venture capital, and wealth management firms. Analysts estimate family offices now manage more than $6 trillion in assets. That's more than the estimated $4 trillion for hedge funds. There are about 10,000 family offices in the world today. That's up tenfold from the early 2000s. This growth is all being driven by more wealth at the top and has shipped away from wealth management firms toward more direct control and direct investing by the wealthy. So you take. All right. Welcome to another great episode of How to Acquire podcast. And I'm really excited uh, for the conversation today where we're going to get to dive into a concept uh, called family offices. And, you know, I believe that if we're going to have a conversation, we should bring in someone who actually understands the topic at hand. And I think we have the perfect guest today who can do just that. Leah, I want to welcome you to How to Acquire Podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, thank you for having me here. It's a great day today. I'm happy to be here. You're very welcome. Uh, Just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company and your experience with family offices. My name is Leia Zubeglich. I'm CEO of Esther Co-op, which is a very unique structure of cooperative family office. And I've been working with owners of businesses since 2000, guiding them to grow the businesses and how to separate the business with the personal and family issues and setting up a family office and managing And I work with the families around the world and the families I work with, they come from various backgrounds, different industries and different sizes. Thank you for sharing that. You know, in the beginning of this episode, we played a clip from, I believe it was CNBC. Are the the big networks getting it right? What, what, What you heard in that clip, is that what family offices is? Is there some truth to it? Is there more to it than what they're, they're leading on? Uh, within the news coverage? Oh, it is. Actually, the family, the number, what they, in the news uh, cast, they said about like 10,000 family offices. Mm -hmm. But as of now, the estimated number is about 25,000 globally. But again, it's estimated number because there are a lot of family offices that are very discreet and they are not really visible. And, but that's kind of estimated number. The reason why the number of family offices are growing is it's tied with economic and uh, social trend. So there's a wave of baby boomer entrepreneurs who built great wealth, and then they are at a stage that they do need to separate their personal wealth from the business. And they also need to think about generational transition, and family office is a very good vehicle for that. And uh, so that's one of the reasons. And also another reason that we cannot overlook is in the past, large investment companies that had absolute control over the information. So you had to work with them. You didn't have any choice. But now with the age of information, and now we are talking about being in the uh, knowledge economy, that a lot of information that used to be exclusive for large investment companies 
you can easily get to it. You can sign up for the information service. So because of that, it's actually possible to have your own family office and make the direct investment without having to go through uh, investment companies. When you say investment companies, I know in the clip earlier on this episode, uh, they were talking about wealth management companies. Is that the the same terminology, the wealth management and the investment firm? Is that an interchangeable uh, term? Uh, yes, depending on the type of, because the investment uh, field is very, like has a lot of different specialized products and services. So there's a lot of uh, different shade and uh, types of investment products. So you can say wealth management companies, asset management companies, stock brokers, stock traders. Uh, and then as the, the earlier the show said, even the private equity companies, venture capital, investment banks, all of them, they manage different type of uh, investment product that leads to wealth management. Understood. So on, on today's episode, I really want to dive in and give the audience a foundation of, uh, I think we're calling this episode Family Offices 101, mm-hmm. right? So just like a foundation of what is a family office? I know we were briefly talking about it already and what avenues people need to go to if they decide that this is you know, a path for them. So we'll start at the, I guess, the, the basic level. When should somebody start thinking of uh, having a family office? And I guess, what exactly is a family office? Okay, so before making a decision of, do I need it, should I have it? We should know what it is. So yeah. let me give you the definition. So. Uh, there are so many different types of entities that exist in the business world. So corporations exist to give the maximum return on investment to shareholders. And shareholders are usually investors, people who put money into the company. Mm-hmm. For family office, the family office is a legal entity and a team dedicated for the well-being and wellness of the family and then the stakeholders of the family office are family members so you can say okay well that's very simple but actually it's not that simple (laughs) because these days think about family well traditionally family was people who share the bloodlines and but these days I mean, we even have a term called blended family. The definition of family gets a lot more complicated because, okay, with the first marriage, second marriage, uh, do we include uh, in-laws? Do we include ex-in-laws? Do we include uh, adopted children? Do we include, I mean, there's like, you know, also like same-sex marriage and all that. So these days, the definition of family is not that simple. And then what about somebody who never got married, who never had kids? Uh, who are the family? Uh, do you include cousins and nieces and nephews? So firstly, if you want to set up a family office, you need to think about who. what is my definition of family and who are in the family? How many people are there? What are their ages? And all those basic things have to be addressed. 
And then after we figure out what the definition of family is to you, again, in this process, there's no wrong or right answers. It's everybody can make their own decision, but every decision comes with consequences. So for example, do I include my spouse? Uh, because when my spouse is father of my children, but he's not strictly speaking really this family line, but my children are in the family line. So should he be included and make a decision together? What am I going to do? What if I get divorced? But I don't want to be too pessimistic. I don't want to think about it, mm. but what if? <laughs> right. So, yeah, so all those are the, the issues that you have to think about. So once you know that you know who are in your family and then you determine that we have enough wealth and enough complication in our family that it'll be good to have a dedicated team and people to take care of us, then it is good time to think about setting up a family office. And then the the video that you showed at the beginning of the show, and then currently when you look at the newspaper and when you meet people, currently the discussion about family office tend to evolve around the wealth management. Mm. But family office is more than that. Okay. Yes, family office need to take care of the financial resources of the family because that's very important. However, it is shown time after time, and you can read it through history books, and uh, there's a, every country you go, there's a kind of saying that are equivalent to shirt to shirt or uh, from clocks to clocks or, you know, uh, so it's very, it's difficult to make money, but it's so easy to lose money. So uh, one of the things for the family office to think about is it's not about how do we make money. People who set up family office, they already made money. And their focus is how do we keep money for this generation, for the next generation, and into five, ten generations into the future? So the real family office, their approach tend to be a lot more conservative and long-term perspective rather than speculative or short-term. And then besides managing financial resources, they need to take care of the intellectual capital, social capital of the family and recently, one of the things that are becoming really critically important is actually mental and emotional and physical health. And it's kind of counterintuitive and ironic because actually, when you are very poor, you don't eat good food and you don't go see a doctor, so your health is bad. And as your income goes, your health improves. But what happens is after a certain point, as your income continues to go up, your health do not go up in proportion. Actually, there comes a point that your health is going worse because your lifestyle has changed. 
and that health include physical, mental, and emotion, uh, the uh, emotional side. So uh, for the families, the emotional safety is really difficult to manage because more money you have, there's a less of emotional safety. So I don't know if you watch the drama Succession. Yes, definitely. Series? Okay. And actually, when the show came out, people were telling me, it's like, oh, Leah, did you see that? It's like, oh, my God, I think they dramatized too much. <laughs> and I told them, no. Oh. And that's a typical story wow. that I experience frequently. Uh, because, again, up to a certain point, having wealth help you to improve your quality of life and mm-hmm. also family relationship. But after a certain point, it actually becomes the hindering block. So taking care of families as I said, physical, emotional, mental health is extremely important. So you will notice that when you look at succession drama, do you see anybody normal in that family? Everybody's psycho, so crazy. They need help. Yeah, definitely. But, but because they're successful, nobody there to tell them you need help. Because right. people assume that well, if you are successful, you must be doing something right. Yes, it is true. Successful people, they became successful because they did one thing right and very well at the right time in the right place. However, it doesn't mean that they are good at everything. In fact, they are very bad at a lot of things. So the first step is having their awareness and addressing the issue. And so... That's what family office does. So it's not about just all about investing money. And it's not about, you know, how can we make more money so we have more money to give to the next generation. That when you have certain amount of money, what matters is how do I ensure that this family will stay together instead of splitting up as generation goes by? How do I make sure that there are some strong values and legacy that we hold on to that even after, you know, fifth, sixth, 10th, 20th generation, they still can proudly say that, yes, I come from this family and what my ancestors studied, they became the seed and this is where we are today. So uh, especially in Astakoa, because of the tendency that people only talk about money and pay attention only to investment, we actually overdo non-investment side of it. So for example, uh, there's a saying that what you measure gets done and what you don't measure, people talk about it, but they don't pay attention. So one of the things that we do when we are providing the report to the family is instead of saying, okay, this, this is how much money you had last year, this is how much money you made, and this is where we are investing money, we will actually quantify non-tangible things such as social capital, intellectual capital, the level of satisfaction in life, level of happiness. We will put that into a number. Again, it's not an absolute number, but 
you can still quantify it. And when people see the numbers, then they start paying attention to it. Definitely understand. I want to take your example of secession. Uh, for those who haven't watched the show, uh, after this episode, go watch it. Uh, I believe it's on uh, HBO. Uh, yes. So yeah, go watch the show so you can understand the references. So do you think the people on secession, the family that is the, the main character or the main family, uh, do you think they don't have a family office? Because I don't remember them ever mentioning one. And I don't see them doing any of that holistic approach to mm -hmm. family wealth. So would it be safe to say, based off the information provided, they probably don't even have a family office? It is very possible. So uh, family office is, the number of family offices are growing. However, I mean, that's one of the reasons we are doing this podcast. There are a lot of people who don't even know what the family office is, or they heard of it but their understanding is wrong. They think that it's a wealth management company. So they say, oh, I already have my private banker. I have also a wealth management company. I have my accountant. Why do I need a family office? I just need to hire a whole bunch of new people and spend a lot of extra money. So that's based on the lack of understanding. So for example, uh, you will see some billionaires who don't have a family office. On the other hand, you will see some uh, entrepreneur uh, still very young who exited the business, who have a family office. So let's talk about that, because um, what comes to mind for me is, can you, is there an outside entity that helps you manage the family office? Are you on your own? How does that work as far as making sure that you have uh, all the components needed to properly manage the family office. Okay. So the ideal family office that I described that does uh, manage the overall like strategy perspective, that requires experience, expertise, and also a lot of resources because putting together a team of uh, specialists, that's quite expensive. So what I recommend is currently there's a kind of a hype about single family office. Single family office is a family office just for one family. But if you are to have a single family office, well, firstly, you are paying for all the bills. So your overhead is quite huge. And then uh, if you haven't had a family office before, it's like a blind leading blind. So currently, because there is a boom in the family office, everybody's trying to set it up. But because even up to five, 10 years ago, there weren't that many family offices. So the earlier you heard that the number of family office grew 10 times. So it's really hard to find people who have experience in the family office. So I don't recommend anyone, regardless of how much wealth you have. And even if you have 10 billions, 100 billions, I don't recommend anyone who haven't had a family office before going straight into single family office, because it's a recipe for disaster. As I said, it is like the blind leading the blind. Uh, 
the person doesn't know exactly what per, uh, family office is supposed to do. And then based on lack of information and knowledge, hire a lot of people who also might have a family office experience, but not the right kind of experience. So if you are studying fresh, I recommend joining the existing structure where your uh, financial burden is not so huge. And rather than being overly ambitious, saying that, oh, you know, I'm going to start doing this, 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 this from my family office. Start with whatever is most critical for you right now and start from that, build a structure, have an experience, and then from there, add another one the following year, following year. So have the organic growth. And then during the transition, the team and also the, the principal of the family office will have a lot of learning and a lot of adjustment. Because again, just like the definition of the family, there's no right or wrong because each family, their needs, their expectation, their wants are different. So the team also has to adjust and adapt no matter how many years of experience that they have. So that kind of organic transition is what I recommend. And in fact, with that spirit, that's how the Esther Co-op is set up so that we can provide almost like a single family office without having to pay for all the the operating expenses uh, by one uh, one family. And then we kind of uh, maximize the shared economy, but you get the benefit of, you know, having your own family office. So you mentioned one term being single family office. Mm -hmm. Would this be like a multi-family office? Is that the proper term or is it more like you were saying a co-op or what's the proper terminology there? Well, that is currently very confusing thing in the family office space. Okay. So uh, as family office becomes very popular, more and more wealth management companies are changing their name as a family office. And also some cases you see accounting companies changing their name to a family office. Interesting. Even the law firms are changing their name to family office. Everybody is a family office. So currently that's very confusing. Right. <laughs> but for me, the real family office is if you are a family office, you are not actively looking for new client. You are not actively trying to raise money from other people. So if you are doing any of these two activities on a regular basis, to me, that's not a family office. It's, it's a business that's dressed as a family office. Right. But if you are a true family office, that you are managing families' private wealth, and as I said, well-being and all other assets uh, discreetly, that if if it is only for one family, that's single family office. If it's for a lot of families, that's for multi-family office. If it's for like small group of people, like friends and family, that would be boutique family office. I would say us as the co-op, 
we don't really fit in anywhere because actually we are jointly owned by the members. So you can say we are a boutique because we don't accept like 100, 200 uh, members. We only uh, accept very small uh, number of uh, selected families. Um, but it's not really boutique family office because yes, I'm the CEO, I'm the founder, but I don't own it because right. co-op have to be owned by all the members jointly together. All the profits have to be shared and co-op itself as an organization I cannot have profits. So it's a different structure. But I feel that this is really the new way of the doing business in this collaboration or sharing economy. What is the, I know we, uh, earlier we, we mentioned about um, making sure you have uh, maybe the appropriate amount to start a family office. What does that look like as far as, I guess, the amount of wealth, the amount of money, uh, the amount of resources that a family should have uh, before, uh, I guess, starting their family office or being part of a multifamily office environment? Okay. So uh, rather than talking about the total assets that family have, I would focus more on liquidity. Okay. The reason is, uh, for example, uh, if you are in a real estate industry, in the real estate industry, family might own an asset that's one billion. But typically, family put in like about maybe hundred million. And then they had other investors and the rest is bank financing. So yes, you have 1 billion, but you have zero liquidity. So when you have zero liquidity, well, what is there for the family office to do? Uh, we cannot do any long-term investment. We cannot do any portfolio adjustment, nothing. So Yes, even if you have 1 billion assets, you don't need a family office. You just continue to invest more in uh, the real estate. And then another case will be that uh, we had this kind of case, the actual case. The client comes from Silicon Valley. So he built his wealth in Silicon Valley. And he has no interest whatsoever in diversifying. Mm. Okay. And as I mentioned to you, the purpose of the family office is you want to make sure that you preserve wealth. And one of the ways to preserve is you diversify so that even if something happens in one industry, one country, that you are hedged and there's a balance of the risk so that you can keep your money longer. But this client is willing to take a risk and he believes that Silicon Valley is the best place. He has no intention of ever diversifying into anything else. And he only wants to continue to invest in IT related company using his existing network. What do you need family office for? So, I mean, in this case, this client has a family office, 
But there isn't anything to do because he, he's the one who knows the industry. He makes all the decisions. And the family office staff is, it's really the name in the family office, but it's just a back office of support who is doing the legal work, accounting work and bookkeeping. And so in that case, you don't really need a family office. So as I said, the family office is really helpful and critical if you are really planning for multi-generational wealth preservation and you are really concerned about leaving something more than just money to the next generation okay then it's good to have a family office we just stumbled on a gem right there leave more than money when you say mm -hmm. that hold on now mm -hmm. what what else could be more valuable than money. That, I mean, everybody on TV uh, tells me it's money, money, money. But you're saying leave more than money. So wait, what could that be? Okay, so when you think about every family or every dynasty throughout the history of humankind, you will notice that it started with, they didn't start with the financial capital. It all started with one individual who knew something others did not know. He believed that that's a great thing to pursue. And he had a personality that's persistent, resilient. And then on top of that, he was able to invite other people to help him. He was very good at convincing them, this is the thing, come with me. And they were able to build wealth. Okay. So every wealth started with intellectual capital supported by social capital. And the financial capital is the byproduct. And what happens is once people have enough financial capital, they forget that what supports financial capital is intellectual and social capital. So that's how when families with a lot of money don't pay attention to social and intellectual capital, by the second and third generation, they are not competent, they are not ambitious enough, they are not resilient enough, they easily cave in or they're easily tempted and they lose money. And when you lose money, you'll be surprised how quickly two billion can disappear. Mm. I've seen a family losing two billion within about 10 years time. Wow, wow. It took lifetime to get there. It took 10 years to lose it all. Wow. So when we say social capital, what exactly does that mean? What should people who are listening to this, uh, especially families who are thinking about starting a family office, what should they be considering when it comes to social capital? So, for example, social capital. Um, actually, this is related to uh, also with entrepreneurship. So for example, when you're an entrepreneur starting a business, 
it's not possible that you hire everybody as employee or service provider. And you need to have a very diverse, broad social network and deep relationship that you can ask somebody for a favor, say that, oh, you know, Derek, would you help me with this one? And then because you have a good relationship and you believe, say, yes, sure, I will do it. Yes, I will work on it over the weekend. I will help you. That's more than what money can buy. So when I say social capital, there's a, a component of diversity. How diverse is my social network? And then also the next factor is how deep is my relationship? So think about it. Let's say if I know, if everybody I know is coming from a pharma industry, how useful is that in managing the risk for long term? Because from the moment I wake up, all I hear about what's happening in pharma industry, that's my whole world. I have no idea what's happening in oil and gas. I have no idea what's happening in real estate. And my world is just pharma. Okay. So, and then also, it's not about the industry. In this global world, uh, diversity also counts for how many different countries do you know people? Uh, also, gender. Do I all know women or men? Or do I know people all of my age? Or do I really know people of uh, the broad age group? The reality is actually we have a very, I told you, I, I like converting everything into numbers to show yeah. people. So we have actually the formula to calculate people's social capital. And you'll be surprised Whenever I start working with people, they say, oh, Leia, you don't need to tell me to meet more people. I know, I, I in fact know too many people. So this is a stupid exercise. And I tell them, well, let's see if you really know a lot of people, then you'll be surprised. We typically, it's a, it's a human nature. We like people who are similar to us. Because of that, when you start coding people, you will notice that, oh my God, I know thousands of exactly the same person. Yep. Okay, so building this diverse social network and building the social capital, it actually requires careful planning and careful execution. Without it, as I said, we all end up with thousands of exactly the same people. And the next issue usually people have is, Yes, you know a lot of people, but you don't have any depth of relationship. So, yeah, you can call them and you can talk. You can, I mean, they are going to stay with you when everything is going well and they can get business from you. But when the situation changes and you have to actually ask them, will they stay with you or will they run away? Because there is no depth in relationship. So... So those are some of the basic things to think about. And then you, again, as I said, one of the benefit of having those, uh, the diverse social network or huge social capital is it makes you more resilient. So there's also a study that shows, so this social resilience study stud, uh, studied by uh, analyzing people with trauma. 
So the social scientists and sociologists and psychologists, they were studying people like, how come some war veterans from Vietnam, they went through trauma, but they come back and actually they are doing much better than before. And some people, they cannot function. They said they are traumatized and they just, you know, they are like a vegetable. They, they, they have nightmares every day. And then the same thing, they analyze some people, young people who went through a uh, terrible childhood that they were abused and they were abused physically, mentally. And then they noticed that some people, exactly the same childhood trauma, they are doing really well and actually they contribute that their childhood trauma as a reason why they are doing so well. Then you see other people who end up being a drug addict and you know being depressed and becoming suicidal. And they analyzed the easiest thing was, okay, maybe it's an income level thing. Maybe it's an education thing. Is it a gender thing? And they analyzed everything and there was no direct correlation. And then the magic bullet they found, what they call social resilience. What they found is people who have diverse social network, when they are in trouble, they get different perspective from different people. And it helps them to overcome, see the situation from different perspective. And then they become very strong. They overcome difficulties. And then after they overcome the difficulties, they become more creative, innovative, and stronger. On the other hand, people who have, just like previous example I gave you, if you know thousands of the same person, you talk to different friends and they're giving you exactly the same advice over and over. The exact same advice that you had in your mind. You are stuck. You cannot make progress. You cannot break this vicious cycle. And so that's how important the social resilience is. So imagine that if you are an entrepreneur running a business empire, if your social network is so homogeneous, one wrong decision you make, now you lost $100 million. Mm. The implication is much huge. But if you have diverse group of people, they said, oh, yeah, have you thought about from this perspective? I think from that perspective, this is very interesting. And then another person says, Oh, what about if you look at from this perspective? I don't think that's a good idea. However, I recommend to consider this modification. So you come out much strong. You know, as we're having this conversation about social capital, I can't help but see the uh, correlation with also having a conversation with the diversity of family offices in general. Mm-hmm. I know that's a big part of your mission if you want to touch on that, but let me just ask the question and then you can take it from there. What does the the stats say about the diversity in family offices? You know, what are we looking at when it comes to non-white uh, male focused uh, family offices? What are we looking at when it comes to Asian focused, Black focused, 
Latino focus uh, and every, every other demographic. What are the demographics around family offices, this thing that we're talking about where all this wealth and money and things that even go beyond money and that could uh, definitely preserve wealth for generations upon generations. Is everybody having an opportunity to have a piece of this? Uh, Unfortunately, not. And that's actually one of the main reasons that currently at Ask the Co-op, we are actively providing services to um, well, I, I have to be careful with the terminology. We no longer can call them minority, but you know, indigenous people, uh, black, Latinos, and the people of color and women. So currently, you will notice that. Well, I don't have exact statistics because in the family office, they are not really paying attention about the racial wealth equality, mm-hmm. but. Based on my experience, I would say oh, it's predominantly white male dominated. Um, and you see more and more Asian families being active. Um, and Asians are what well, they are culturally, they are known for saving money, being long-term minded. And so you see them more and more emerging, especially last five years. I see more of them popping up. But I would say so far, I've met only one Black person who have family office. And then actually he was telling me that he's having a lot of difficulty because even though he's a family office, he is not getting the same kind of opportunities because he's not in the same network. Because if you're a family office, you try to source opportunities as directly as possible, not through broker dealers or another wealth management companies. But he's saying that that's biggest issue. So it's not only about the family office. As now you can see, all these issues are interlinked. Usually the people of color, they don't have diverse network. Because of that, that they lose out on a lot of opportunities. So um, it's not just about, okay, well, now I'm going to set up a family office. It has to be combined with kind of multidimensional effort of trying to solve the issues of underlying issues. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, a reflection of what society looks like. Mm-hmm. If yeah. society is is having a, a huge racial wealth gap, mm-hmm. and then most of the wealth is now being arrogated towards family offices, Mm-hmm. You put you know one one together, you start putting it together, and you start realizing, wait a second, there's a huge chunk of people who don't even know when when we post this video or this episode, and we put the word family offices, I I believe that many people will have no idea what this episode will be about. Mm-hmm. They may not yeah. even have heard the term yet, so mm-hmm. we're really going to be introducing people to a a whole new concept for them. And it and I think it also goes a little bit, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I know we have to go soon, but it, it also goes a little bit to what you're talking about intellectual capital. Well, mm-hmm. having the information 
yeah. to be able to make these decisions because you can't make decisions on things you know nothing about. Yeah. So actually, these people of color not having a family office is leading to the multi-generational wealth gap. Mm. Because the one of the benefit of having a family office is well, firstly, you manage things more strategically, more long-term, but in terms of investment opportunities, you try to go as direct as possible. So right. basically, you are you are buying everything at manufacturer's price instead of paying retail. So mm-hmm. imagine that, okay, in the first generation, this white family is buying everything at manufacturer's price. And this black family who studied with, let's say, exactly 100 million is buying everything retail. You see the difference by the second generation, third generation, it accumulates and multiply. Most of those people of color don't even know that there's anything beyond retail. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And so yeah. they think they're getting a deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you're saying, long term, they're really cutting into their wealth and have mm-hmm. no idea that they're even doing that. And so that's why an episode like this, and I know we'll have many more conversations, it's so vital for people mm-hmm. to have yes. this information and not be blindsided mm-hmm. um, and look up and, you know, next generation, the wealth is gone. Yes, yes, exactly. So it is very important that I really like to work actively with you, creating awareness in the Black and the the community uh, about the importance of family office and uh, kind of changing people's mindset rather than transactional mindset of, oh, I want to make more money, really thinking strategically, how can I build multi-generational wealth? It doesn't have to be a huge amount, but the goal is if I have $100, how can I make this $100 less multi-generational? Definitely. I, I'm committed to that. Mm-hmm. Wherever the wealth is, along as ethical, of course, I want to make sure that everyone has the same access to mm-hmm. this information. Otherwise, what are we really doing? We're not even really all even playing the same game. We really don't even yes. know everyone's full capabilities. If one group of people are playing a totally different game than the other, that the Mm -hmm. other person doesn't know anything about. I I say, let's bring everybody to the table and let's allow everybody's true talents Mm -hmm. to be displayed so we can see, you know, who can really do the most with their Mm -hmm. family wealth. Here's my question for you. My last question. Why is this information being hidden? Or maybe I'm maybe I'm going too far. Is it being hidden? Why don't why why is there a huge chunk of people who don't know about family offices? Well, because so far the family offices that I classified as a real family office, they usually work very discreetly because they are managing their own money and they actually, the real family offices, they don't go out advertising to everybody uh, saying that this is what we are doing because actually less other people know it's better for them. So that's why it, it wasn't available. So the irony is all these 
not genuine family offices going around and doing the marketing to gain more business, that's actually creating awareness of family office. So it's kind of ironic. (laughs) So does that lead to misinformation? If you have a, a company that is not a true genuine family office, they're promoting family offices, then somebody else comes along and kind of does something similar to a family office, but it's not fully a family office, they're not getting the full benefits, I would presume. Uh, yes. Yeah, so there's, as I, as I told you, there's a lot of confusion about what family office is. So yeah. actually, it's very difficult for uh, business families to make informed decision because everybody's saying different things. So typically what happens is when it's very confusing, people just make a decision based on the relationship. So they will go with the private banker they know because, you know, they said, wow, he's been my banker for the last 10 years and things like that. So yeah, creating awareness is very important. And uh, as I mentioned, the real family office the privacy is extremely important. That, In fact, that's one of the reasons that you want to have a family office. Because let's say uh, recently I had a client who was looking for a manufacturing company. And you don't want the whole world to know that you are looking for a manufacturing company. But if you have a family office and the family office staff go around and doing it, then, you know, you can be very discreet and you know, not the whole world knows about it, because if the whole knows about it, every manufacturing companies would be sending the proposal and but then it creates a lot of confusion and it's not what you want. So uh, the privacy is extremely important. And then uh, in the US, it's a less of an issue, but it is still an issue. When you have certain level of wealth, your safety and your family member safety is extremely important. So especially for clients coming from Latin America and Africa or even some other part of uh, Asia, the safety security is extremely important. So uh, they will set up a family office, but the family members will stay behind so nobody knows whose family office it is. And then the uh, executives will discreetly manage. And then for the um, Black entrepreneurs, that could be, depending on the size and the stage of their life, that could be one strategy. Meaning... It is true that still there is a racial bias that exists in the business world. So sometimes you stay behind the family office so nobody knows that it's actually owned by a Black person. You go get things done. And so that, that there's a multi, many reasons why having family office is beneficial. And we're going to talk more about that last part in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, caught, I caught that nugget. But we'll we'll save that for the next time you and I speak. Leah, I want to thank you so much for uh, shedding light on a very important topic uh, here on How to Acquire a Podcast. One of my favorite quotes is, the poor teach their children how to buy, the rich teach their children how to sell, and the wealthy teach their children how to acquire. And I Mm -hmm. want to thank you for teaching us 
how to have an acquisitions mindset and how mm-hmm. to maybe preserve our wealth in a different way. And so for all the people listening to this episode, I thank you for tuning in and we'll have more on this topic in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much.